ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. Well, recent surveys highlight that some 60% of Australian parents and carers consider social media their top worry for kids. They cite concerns about algorithm-based feeds damaging their interpersonal skills and contributing to anxiety. They do have extensive screen time habits. A staggering 80% of Gen Z born between 95 and 2009 use their phones within the first three minutes uh, before bedtime, and the reliance continues in the morning. 74% reach their devices within the first three minutes of waking up. Research also shows that 70% of Gen Z believes that social media negatively affects their mental health. Despite these concerns, a study published in Nature Human Behaviour suggests that maybe parents needn't be concerned about this, as overall, they say, well, the study suggests the effects on children are generally small and sometimes even beneficial. Is it just a generational thing of a whole generation of parents confronting one of the biggest technological changes the world's ever seen? The invention of the smartphone. The Heads Up Alliance, a group of Australian parents, continues to stress waiting until age 14 before allowing children to use social media and smartphones. But is there, are these attitudes just uh, antediluvian, given the importance of these devices these days? And the, well, if you can't use one and operate one effectively, are you going to be much use in the world today? The world of work, I suppose, is the question. What is the effect of social media on young people? Is it good or bad? Uh, what age do you think kids should be before they get a phone? And do you worry about your kids using social media? They are, to some, in many ways, the questions for parents of our time. Joining us this evening to uh, chew over these issues, Stephen Sheeler is the former Facebook CEO for Australia and New Zealand. Stephen, good evening to you. Welcome to Nightlife. Good evening, Philip. Great to have you with us. Also joining us, Dr Kimberly O'Brien is a child psychologist, uh, Kimberly, good evening to you. Good okay. evening. How are you? Yeah, very well. I'm very good. Uh, we're all of a generation that didn't grow up with smartphones, aren't we? Well, speak for yourself. Philip, oh, right? really? <laughs> <laughs> He's making it up. <laughs> but it has been. I think it's probably fair to say. You'd probably agree, Stephen. It's one of the, it's the biggest technological revolution the world's ever seen. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting, I think we all reflect, if you're a certain age, you talk to your parents. I talked to my parents about what the world was like when they were kids, mm. and you know, there were a few differences, like radio was bigger, TV wasn't really around, um, you know, cars were older, planes you know, didn't fly as far, but essentially the world wasn't that much different. I grew up in the 60s, 70s, early 80s. Telephones weren't as common as you might think. Yeah, it was. It not, common, every, but not every house was connected to correct, the telephone. Correct, correct. But they, mm. they had party lines and things, but mm. they still existed. Mm. But, you know, you, you fast forward from the 60s, 70s to today, and the Internet is the big thing that's, mm. that didn't exist. And, yeah. and, of course, the Internet has so many tentacles now into everything we do. It's amazing. I can remember the first day the Internet came to the office I was working in back in the the 90s and uh you know we had a series of discs we had to put into one person's computer and that only that person had access to the internet that was literally how the <laughs> office worked i don't know how we got our jobs done but you know fast forward to today and you know the internet is is always on always in our lives always in our hands and you know it, it's definitely presenting you know massive opportunities for human humanity to move forward but there's challenges as yeah, well yeah exactly could you exist and could you do your work without a mobile phone, a smartphone? Um, I'm pretty Kimberly? reliant on it, I have to say. Yeah, I check it quite often and I actually prefer to do a lot of my work from my phone rather than pulling out my laptop. I, yeah, I just find it really convenient. 
this is the thing, Stephen, isn't it? To some degree, even though we probably we are aware, and you may well even can see that there are negatives to this because there are with the use of most technology. The thing is, the way work is organised now, mm. there's no other way to engage with it. Yeah, I think that it's it's unrealistic to think you're going to to work and live in the modern world without being online, without accessing these tools. I think that's not realistic at all. Mm. Um, but that doesn't mean to say we can't do things to improve the experience for individuals and for society as a whole. So I think that's the that's the focus now. You know, there's there's billions of phones on the face of the earth now, smartphones. Mm. Um, I should note there's still billions of people who are not connected to the internet. I think it's about sure. three and a half billion. So it's not, not everybody has access to smartphones, but so many of us do. Mm. But I think we're getting to the, the stage now, and Kimberly will be able to test this as well, that you know, we're starting to understand what some of those negative externalities are, to use a kind of economic term. And, mm. and we're starting to, and I think rightly so, try to formulate how do we, how do we control some of these, these negative externalities because they have spread so quickly. Mm. And, and if we don't get on top of them, particularly things like mental health, you know, the problems are going to continue to get worse. What do you see, Kimberly? When um, we see when, a lot when of... You're, when, you're, when you're talking with kids and their parents who are concerned about it, what, do you, what, what are the negatives that you see? Well, a lot of anxious kids, for one. That's our number one reason for referral. And then kids that are really, you know, hooked into screens at, late at night, they're, they're not sleeping well, they have poor eating habits generally, and their their interests are really narrow. So they come into the clinic and they're, you know, sliding off their chair, wanting to be under the table, you know, just wanting to be out of the out of the office. So I think um I see lethargy, I see like poor social skills and um you know, mental health issues can c- creep up quite quickly and you know, you see someone and then you know, they seem okay, but 3 months later they might be, they may be, you know, suicidal, they have like self-harming behaviors. It can spiral really quickly. So I think it's it's not good to be complacent about these things. It's really quite serious when kids are not socialising and and their interests are really narrow. Because mm. the idea of connecting everybody and then being able to tell each other everything about each other sounds like a great idea. But mm. as a number of studies have shown, including one by Facebook themselves, mm. uh, this is not you know not a secret. Uh, social media does make many people unhappy, uh, and it makes them unhappy because their lives don't look so good in comparison to others because of the way people present themselves. Well, there's a lot of factors at play, so Mm. that's part of it. Um, Kimberly touched on the fact that sleep gets affected. I mean, sleep is actually one of the biggest causes of all... It's it's comorbid to all kinds of other problems, including mental illness. So just poor sleep alone is a big problem for kids. It's gotten worse because of screens in their face, regardless of what the screens are doing, whether they're playing games or they're on social media. If they're not getting the sleep they need, that is a big problem. But the things get mixed um, mixed together here. There's there is the idea that hey, my life's not as exciting as yours. But there's also this being caught into sort of these these worlds, these swirls of different topics that you can go down into. That it's it uh, that research that started to show is is not a healthy place to be no. for for brains that are in a development stage. And you know we've got to remember that brains at a certain age in their development are, are not they're not the more kind of robust and kind of strong brains, as it were, that we might have as adults The you know, the, the, when you're, a, and we've all been teenagers and kids growing up. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're, you're just more affected by things. And this is shown by research as well. And unfortunately, social media in many ways and the internet more broadly can amplify some of the problems that kids have at that particular vulnerable stage. And, you know, it's a reason why we don't let 
you know, young people drive cars. We don't let them, you know, drink alcohol. We don't let them smoke cigarettes. And because these things are often dangerous in their hands, they don't have the, the, the mental capacities or the physical capacities to deal with it. Um, but social media, you know, is 13. 13 is the age that, that, that the likes of Facebook and others put as the, the, the first time you can get a, a social media account. Mm-hmm. Um, but the question now is happening, as you raised in your opening, is that too young? You know, should it actually be a higher age? And I, I think there's good, strong arguments to say that it should be because those brains are simply too too vulnerable at that early age. One of the things that, I don't know, from my, my experience as a parent raising our two daughters was that particularly in the early teens, right through until they're sort of nineteen, twenty, maybe, the, the search for validation is massive. Mm. You know, and we probably all remember this. It can be traumatic for kids uh, because you're trying to find out, A, who you are, and B, whether anyone likes that. Uh, or likes that person mm. that that you are, yeah. and you're you're trying to mould that image to 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 be someone that other people like. You're looking for that all the time. With with uh, with young girls, overlaid on top of this is the whole idea of attractiveness. Mm. You know, am I am mm. I an attractive person? Am I an attractive female or not? And they're finding this out through the fact that people are telling them whether they are or not, in, mm. often the, in, in cruel ways. Well, this was my experience anyway, and I'm sure things have probably not changed. And I remember my young daughter one time, she was up, she was adept at laptop use, and she would be running like six, seven, eight, ten different chat chats at one time, which she was actively involved with, mm. all different people, not mm. in the same chat group. These were different conversations. Mm. No one talks like that. <laughs> no, like no one talks like that in the real in real life. In other words, she was having a conversation in this digital space, which you could never have mm-hmm. in uh, in any other human interaction. And, and yeah, and that, that's part of the the joy of things like the internet and social media. You you can speak to people in in ways and in places that you would normally be connected with them. Mm. And there are a lot of uh, and, and social media and Facebook Meta would point out that. You know, social media has been very good at bringing together groups that often feel isolated. So, if, if, so, you know, um, gay and lesbian teens in, you know, in, in regional areas of Australia can, I'm just using an example, can, you know, can find others who are feeling the same things in other parts of the country and not feel so isolated, perhaps, if they're in a community that doesn't embrace them. So there are, there are good things about that connection, absolutely. Mm. But, does I, it, does it all, but does it all make it too – is the avalanche too much and is the speed too fast, Kimberly? In other words, kids need time to work these things out. And often, mm. and, the, and life used to be gentler about yeah. it. I'm not saying it used to be any kinder. I mean, it wasn't. It was still, it was still cruel, but it was crueler in a slower and more manageable way. Do you think? Yeah, I think so. And, and more in person, so you can read someone's, you know, body language and really size them up and get a feel for that person rather than just having, you know, anonymous comments online, which um, I think can come as a shock. And there's so much more risk, you know, for predators to drawing kids and um, just seeing on the ABC News just now in the waiting room, but, um, you know, photos being used and then like sort of an AI porn site being able to change that into pornographic material, you know, when schoolgirls have, you know, just had their photos stolen online. So I think it's, yeah, I think it's really risky to not be a great supervisor as a parent, but I also think parents are under a lot of pressure to be there all the time. Mm. What do you think, I mean, just back on this supervision issue, when I hear people say they supervise, I, th- I thought it was essentially unrealistic because pe- how do you supervise your child's use of 
what they're looking at on their smartphone. Mm. You can't. I think that's where the social media companies have to take more responsibility because parents can't be hypervigilant and, you know, I mean, there's a certain level of responsibility, of course, that falls on the parents, but to put it all on the parents and to have, like, no regulations, I think, is just yeah, way too much. I'd be interested to hear what your, your listeners say mm. to that because I, I have not found a parent who feels they're on top of, of course this not. issue. No. I, mean, I think one thing you mentioned, um, Philip, that I think is is worth focusing on a little bit is um, in the past, in the past for, th- for thousands of years, millions of years, however, as long humans have been on the earth, we have been interacting with other humans directly, right? So I can look at you, you can look at me, I can read your, hmm. your not just what you say, but your, your body language and, and it's human to human. What has changed now with the internet and social media over the past just 10, 15 years is it's not human to human anymore. It's human to machine. And we are, as our brains have not been tuned to deal with machine-driven stimulus that's coming at us. And add to that things like anonymity. Add to that things like you know, um, the, you know, the the initial the 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 existing issues that particularly teens already have that they're dealing with in a non-technology world. Mm. Uh, it gets amplified. And one of one of the things I. I, I think we should all realize this is every time you open your phone, I'm not saying this from a doomsayer way. I'm a big, I'm a, I'm a technologist myself. Mm. Every time you open your phone, you are not dealing with another human on the other side of that screen. It, you're dealing with machines mm. and those machines are not necessarily constructed to put your best interest forward. And you can't necessarily interpret what most machines are, are doing to you mm. as uh, in contrast to what I can do now, simply by looking at you, Kimberly and understanding how we're communicating. Um, this mm. is how, you know, you and I have been evolved, mm-hmm. but suddenly now I, I've got a machine in front of me and it's going to be even more challenging now with AI getting thrown into the mix as mm. you just alluded to. So it's a, it's a very dangerous time to be a human. I think with this, with this a device like that in your hand, and I am concerned that we're not we're not doing nearly enough, and I think the the platforms aren't doing nearly enough. To it, it is almost impossible to manage these things mm. as a parent, mm. and that should not be the case. What do you say to parents, uh, Kimberly, about mm. about managing this? So it's always around setting boundaries, and you know, looking at the child's sleep as the most important thing, and taking the phone away at night so that they can't be using it in their room. Um, making sure that they have parental <laughs> controls on so they're not, you know, using it for too many hours. Um, yeah, I mean, there's age regulations on, on the social media platforms, but I think there's lots of ways to get around it. So parents being more tech savvy and knowing, you know, what those um, guidelines are and what the kids are accessing is really important. But I think um, what I tell parents is that it's an issue that everybody's facing and that there needs to be more support for parents out there. So it's not that they're doing a bad job because um, their kids are suicidal or, you know, feeling depressed or um, anxious. It's looking at what other opportunities are there for kids socially, like let's go and enrol them in different things after school so that they're not just home um, you know, unsupervised and on, on screens. You don't suggest, do you, that, that parents should cut them off, not be on it at all? Well, I do like cold turkey. I think that's important. Like if there is an issue that you have to be able to say no. Mm. And yes, there will be some squawks, you know, squeals for probably the first three days, a lot of resistance. But I think when I see the kids come back a week later, there's better communication skills, there's more humor. 
I see it as a win if that addiction is cut and sometimes it has to be cold turkey. We are seeing pushback, aren't we, Stephen? There's, I mean, there's real pushback. New South Wales is one jurisdiction that said not at school anymore, Mm. no no mobile phones. I mean, this is is not uncommon these days as well. Uh, And, you know, you can (laughs) – initially, of course, everything was 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 open and up for grabs. People are trying to come to terms with it. Uh, what what age do you think uh, a kid should have a social media account, Kim? Oh, I'd love to see it at 16, you know, like the one you just mentioned. In Florida, yeah. Yeah, I think that's... Um, it's not law there yet, but it may, mm. no, the Governor Ron DeSantis may, yeah. may well not sign the law. Florida, Utah has something similar. There's a few other states that yeah. are bringing that in, but... Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, the, the researchers will know more than me. I just, I think 13 is too young. It's, it's, mm. To my mind, 16 sounds like more where we should wind up. But you've got to be realistic as well. As you mentioned before, the world happens, happens on your phone and social media for so many teens today. And removing from that, them from that completely could have, could have downsides as well. Um, you know, it, being a parent's always been hard, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah. there's, you know, there's, there's drugs, there's sex, there's, you know, there's keeping them safe from strangers. There's all kinds of things that parents need to have frank conversations. And and many parents uh, try as they might, their their kids um, wind up in 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 harm's way. This just adds to that burden and amplifies so much of it. Um, coming back to what you said, Kimberly, you know, we I've got three kids, and I, I think the best you can do today is talk about the pros and cons. Be honest about what you're worried about be honest about what you think is good and bad and try to try to get them to participate in the decision mm-hmm. um rather than you know be draconian um but every kid's different every parent's different every dynamic's different so it's it's hard to have one rule for every parent what to what degree Stephen, do you think that the that the the, the media companies in this sense should take responsibility themselves for this i mean they are aware of the harms that they are doing uh, do you think they take sufficient responsibility? In, for example, the case of alcohol, you know, if you sell alcohol to a child, you you're committing a serious offence and mm. can be and can be punished very severely for it. Yeah. If you sign up uh, someone, an underage person, to Facebook, you're not punished, are you? No, I don't. Uh, not in most parts of the world. No, no. Uh, so let me let me answer this question a couple of different ways. So one is, I think if you go and I worked inside. You know these uh, social media for a long time at Facebook. Mm. There's a there's, there's a lot of really good and well-meaning people in those companies. I mean, it's mm. it's not a evil empire. They're, they actually do want to build technology for the benefit of humankind, and that goes from Mark Zuckerberg on down. The challenge they run into is, I think, two things. So one is they built technology that that it's so powerful and pervasive that despite their best intentions, they don't understand what the negative externalities. They don't, they don't understand what the negative effects are. And in, in fact, even experts don't yet if they don't have access to the data. And plus, many of these negative effects take time to unfold, sometimes decades, to understand things like mental health impacts. So they build a technology they don't fully understand. The second challenge is they're not incentivized to understand it. So there is something in the US, uh, the Online Decency Act from 20 years ago, it has something called Section 230, gets mentioned a lot, which essentially shields online platforms from the damage that they cause um, by having content on their platforms. So we had the the spectacle of Mark Zuckerberg at the congressional hearing standing up and apologizing to the, the families behind him. But the reality is he 
he doesn't have to pay them anything. There is no consequences for them. No, and the reason no. is the law protects those platforms. Now, that may not change anytime soon. Congress certainly hasn't moved on it. And so that's the case in the US. Now, other markets are different. But I do believe that more responsibility needs to be taken by the platforms, not because they don't want to do it, but they're not forced to do it. And, and none of us, m most companies don't willingly put up their hand and say, I want to be regulated more. Um, but it needs to happen, I think, to, to create a better world and, and a better place to build good social media and good tools on the internet, which is, which is what most of these people want to do. What kind of regulation would you like to see, Kimberly? Oh, I think it should go through like an ethics committee, just like if I was to do research on children, you know, I have to go through a process because it's a vulnerable population and the social media companies should do the same thing as well. If they're going to expose them to, you know, these kinds of risks, there should be somebody that's overseeing it for the, for the child's well-being. I, I feel like that's just a basic human right for the children. Mm. A lot of parents are worried about online pornography because once upon a time you had to go to a, you know, uh, a bookstore down the back and find a magazine wrapped in plastic, which is the only way you could really access it mm -hmm. back in the day. These days, anyone with a phone's got access to it instantly, including kids. And parents worry about this a lot. Should they be? Oh, I think they definitely should be. Like, I think, um, you know, kids go down rabbit holes and come to the dinner table with all different ideas and you think, okay, what have you been listening to? Where did that idea come from? Mm. And it's good that you can talk about it, but you know that they've been exposed to something that's outside of your family's values. and But they're know, not it, likely to talk to you about it, are they? Hopefully they will. I think that's the, that's the challenge of every parent to try and be like clear about the, the boundaries, but also like open to discussing these, you know, difficult topics for kids. Um, and I think that just comes down to education, you know, it's education in the classroom. So we're moving away from all these digital products that are being sold to school so that we can have more relationships between teachers and students rather than more time on iPads, which is, you know, really giving them less opportunity to learn about those, you know, just the nuances, the jokes that are not funny, the ones that are racist or sexist that, you know, they might not realise that when they're just watching it in a reel, in a 30 second, you know, um, video, which is very sticky and it's not Mm. Real life. Classrooms don't run like that. But what about the issue of, of pornography, which, which you know, almost universally shows sex in an unrealistic light? Mm. Uh, that that you know, I have a whole generation of kids and are a whole generation of kids growing up with ideas about sex which have got, no, which have got nothing to do with the real world or the mm. sexual encounters they are likely to have. Yeah, I think, it's, I think it's really scary. I think that, again, pornography companies need to take responsibility for that content Obviously, like that's just a given. Well, it's a huge, it's a huge amount of content on online, isn't it? Well, it's a big change from the the old days, as you say, where it was pretty heavily controlled, right? I mean, and also diff um, difficult to access. It's very difficult now. It's so easy to access. Um, yeah, that's definitely a. I mean, I, I I've got to say, I, I, I'm not an expert in that space, but I've got to imagine that uh, those who are experts and perhaps somebody will call in will will tell us that you know that has. Had a, had a had a pretty big detrimental effect on on youth well-being mm -hmm. as a result of just the proliferation of this kind of content online. Mm -hmm. What do you think, Kimberly, is the correct age for a person to have a phone? Well, according to the research, the average age is 10 years and three months, which is how younger. Did, how did they arrive at that? 
I just surveyed thousands and thousands of uh, parents and found that that was usually uh, younger um, because if parents have separated and the kids are in two different homes, they, both parents want to communicate with the young child, you know, directly rather than going mm. through a parent. Or if they've started a new school and they, you know, need to track them while they're on public transport. So there's usually questions around safety that help kids to get phones earlier, but there's a push for, you know, pushing it out to like four, 14 years Um like wait till year eight is really the the thing that schools and parents are pushing for. Um, but I think that's kind of the tail end of it. I think most kids get phones when they're in year six or year seven just to transition um, to new transport hmm. links. For, uh, my texter says, Phil, when my daughter's got their devices, uh, we had thorough parental controls, which I could limit content, apps usage and some content. I feel I was kind of across their online life. We had a basic truce. On their 13th birthday, the tech company sent them happy birthday messages telling them they can legally now have their own accounts. They no longer needed parental controls and instructions on how to set them up. It caused a lot of angst and conflict, and I no longer have any real oversight of their activities except what I can control via my home router Mm. and what they grudgingly tell me. I mean, that's the truth of it, isn't it? Yeah, I think that's really sad. I think that's one of the biggest things around the parent-child relationship that breaks down because... Kids are online for longer and parents lose touch with their beautiful kids that, mm. you know, that mm. they have close relationships with before they get phones. Indeed. ABC Radio. You're listening to Nightlife. Nightlife with Philip Clark. And a big welcome to our listeners in South Australia and the Northern Territory. Joining us tonight, we're talking about social media and the effect on children. And we've got some terrific guests with us. Stephen Sheeler is a former Facebook CEO for Australia and New Zealand. And Dr. Kimberly O'Brien is a child psychologist uh, as well. If you've got experiences in your own family of uh, how you regulate social media and the successes you've had with it, love to hear from you because pretty much I think... The view from this end appears to be that it's a losing battle. One three hundred eight hundred triple two is the number. One three hundred eight hundred triple two, or you can text on zero four six seven nine double two seven zero two. What do you think is the right age for a kid to have a smartphone, Stephen? Look, if it was up to me, and it's not, but it's I, going to be soon, though, isn't it? You've I, got little kids. <laughs> I would, I would say, sixteen sounds like a a, a good age. Now, whether I, I whether that's realistic or not, I think it's another question, but. Hmm. I think there's a there's a there's a there's a time when I would like them to be experiencing the world in a in a more I guess pure and innocent way hmm. and and then I then I think it's you know it's time to face the fire hose of of the internet and social media uh, but I just think that time is not when they're 13 or 14 hmm. I, I would prefer it's a couple of years later hmm. One of my texters says, didn't kids go behind their parents' back and buy cigarettes back in the days? And this is the same problem in a different era. Well, yes, I suppose it is. But it's just that the size of the problem, Kimberly, is like like of a, of a completely different order, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's a lot of kids with secret social media accounts that parents don't know about. They have a whole different audience. You know, they may have something that's kind of sent censored that parents do access and see what they post, but then they can often have a second one as well. So, yeah, that, mm. I, mean, I, I should know. I mean, there's... There's complexity with some of these laws that are coming in that are saying that you know they want to give parents more control over their kids' social media mm-hmm. accounts because some kids don't, for good legitimate reasons, don't want their parents to see what they're doing, and that can be because they've got an abusive parent or they've got a parent who who, who would have trouble with if there's if the kid's struggling with their sexuality, the parent wouldn't understand mm-hmm. and or other issues, and so it is complex. It's, it's simply opening it to parents can 
has its own challenges for some kids. And I'm sure Kimberly know kids in, in vulnerable situations where you don't want to give the parents too much access. Mm-hmm. So that's a, that's a use case we shouldn't forget as, mm. as well. Trent uh, on the road. G'day, Trent. G'day, g'day, how are you? Well, I'm good, yeah. <laughs> oh, I've just got a comment. I think for me, um, I think it's about building good self-esteem with my daughter. I've got two young girls, but it's about building self-esteem and good communication skills, self-awareness and respect and understanding that you kind of have to hedge your bets at some point and hope that they make the right decisions, whether that's social media, alcohol, drugs, driving, you know, whatever it is. And I think open communication and having that self-awareness and a strong self-esteem puts me and gives me a little bit of confidence that they're going to potentially make the right decisions. I know they won't all the time, but I think there's times when if they don't have, if you're held off and isolated them from having social media, there is that social isolation that can happen as well. So finding that balance and having clear communication with your kids, I feel, is is the way I'm playing it anyway. Mm. Yeah. Okay. You um, and you you feel you feel as though you're on top of it, Trent, or do you feel as though you're not really on top of it? It's just. I don't think anyone's completely on top of anything, to be honest. But mm. I think I don't think I've got the you know on the oracle or anything like that. But I believe I'm I'm, I'm sort of in a, in a I'm not fear, I'm not fearing social media. It's not doomsday. I think there's power in the platforms. I think they can be used in a positive way. And I think, you know, it's not it's not doom and gloom. I think from a parenting point of view, I think there's a lot of owners actually go on to trying to raise um, kids with good self-esteem and good morals and good values to, to try and make better decisions. Mm. Yep, fair enough. Thanks, Trent. Good, good on you. Bye-bye. Um, one three hundred eight hundred triple two lines free. Kimberly, does too much screen time affect kids' social skills or does it help them with social skills? Oh, I think there's, yeah, there's, I mean, some benefits, obviously, to have that online chat. You talked about, like, multitasking before with, like, six or seven uh, conversations going at once, which is great, you know, in terms of um, conversation skills. But then to put them in a room with in-person communication, sometimes they can take a little bit longer to warm up if they've been on screen for too long. And they can experience social anxiety and they can become quite avoidant in... um, a social situation, so a party or something that might feel overwhelming, um, can take you know some self-regulation where they'll sort of do a walk by, then they'll maybe go into the bathroom, have a drink of water, and sort of build up to a social like or a group activity. So mm. yeah, it takes practice, and you don't want to like fall out of practice by spending too much time online. One of my texters, Diana, says, "Can't young kids have a phone that doesn't allow internet but still makes calls and texts? Have a few games that are not online." Yeah, there was a time when such phones... I think those phones exist. Yeah, They, they, you, they do exist. You, such can, fo- you can find them. I think, yeah. I think they do still exist. Your, your kids won't be uh, <laughs> very happy when you give it to them, probably, but yeah, they do exist. Uh, Grant from the Sunshine Coast. G'day, Grant. Yeah, how are you going? Not bad. Um, this problem starts a hell of a lot before um, mobile phone usage. Hmm. I sit there and watch toddlers that can't even crawl getting given iPads and mobile phones to keep them entertained. Yeah. Happens all the t- happens they, all the time, doesn't it? And they become very coherent with how to use a device before they know how to use a knife and fork. Hmm. So it, it's not the phones that's the problem. It, it's starting 
as toddlers, the classic I saw was I was doing a lot of walking. One morning I'm out walking, this mum who's obviously only just had a baby and getting herself back into fitness has handed her child an iPad while she's jogging along with the pram. <laughs> and all the kids is looking at it as an iPad. Yeah, yeah. At the time it should be exploring the world and strengthening its eyes. So mm. it, it's not a phone issue. This is the whole technology has got a lot worse than that. Yeah. It, here's a difference in, tech, in, in almost in definitions though, Grant. You say they should be exploring the world, not looking at a screen. It, it, is engagement with this technology uh, actually exploring the world though? No, no, because I did hear, listen to a study actually on the ABC that in the first time, because we've only had these devices for 10 years now, they've got a 10 year study. Hmm. They've never seen um, first year students requiring as many uh, corrective lenses as they do today. Hmm. Hmm. And that's because they're sitting there where their eyes should be strengthening and their eyesight's the length of their arms away is where they're used to looking. Mm. So, so, yeah, no, no, so, I, yeah, no, no, I take your point. Um, to what degree, Stephen, I mean, I'm not trying to absolve <laughs> social media companies like any big technology companies from responsibility of the deployment of their technology, but to what degree is this argument the argument we always have when we have what are potentially socially big mm. changes? So, uh, you know, I can. I mean, there were many arguments over the arrival of television, for example, yeah. that went on for years about yeah. when kids should watch TV and yeah. the kids aren't outside playing and climbing trees mm. and, you know, falling out of app uh, and, and throwing apples at each other. Mm. They're inside watching TV. We kind of got over that and, and thought, actually, in the end, for good or bad, it's here. And that's something that's another life skill we have to deal with. And it, essentially, this is the argument we're having, isn't it? Well, Except you, that this is yeah. just much more powerful. We, I mean, humans are very adaptable, right? We we put up with all kinds of you know, noise, pollution, the kind of things. If you took somebody from a the jungle and dropped them into the city, they'd be overwhelmed. Like we we get used to these things. Hmm. Um, however, um, I mean, I can remember the the TV. You know, it was bad. Saturday morning cartoons was a big controversy when I was a kid in the U.S. Like you're watching too much cartoons. It seems quaint now, right? Like, yeah, we watch too much. Pretty much all telly when I was growing up was it was yeah. was controversial. We watched yeah. too much Tom and Jerry on right. Saturday morning, and it was a big you know presidential um, debate. Mm. Um, but now the, the challenge is, as I say, that's in those days it was you know one program everybody watched it. You know you were it was on at a certain time, etc. But now it's it's content that's always on that's tailored just for you. That's that's drilling into what what gets you hooked into watching it. I mean, that's the incentive of, of social media is to keep you on the screen and not necessarily to look after your best interest, right? It's to look after the social media company's best interest, which is you know what, what they do. They're selling a product to make money to drive advertising and drive engagement. But it's not necessarily in the best interest of kids. And kids are vulnerable. We're all vulnerable. Hmm. But even think about the days before social media, for those of us. Remember, I mean, when there were no, uh, no phones. I mean, if you were having a, a bad day with your social group or you'd had a bad day at school, you weren't feeling You could go to your bedroom. You could close the bedroom door. And you were alone. You were alone. But now you go to that, your bedroom, close the bedroom door. You're not alone. Hmm. Your phone's still there. I mean, the world is there with you. There's no, it's, it's very hard to escape. And what you said at, when, at the outset about you know, within three minutes of going to bed, with three minutes of waking up, I mean, that's common to not just kids, to, to all of us, but the world is always with us in yeah. our face. And that world is not driven by human beings. It's driven by machines. And I think that is the difference between now and you know 40 years ago when 
when we had just normal What have we lost TV. here, Kimberly? in the, in mm-hmm. the fact that, I mean, last weekend, for, exa- for more than uh, 30 hours, I was uh, in the bush outside of any, fo- any re- reception of anything. And uh, that, that idea of being out, out of contact aloneness, as Stephen was saying, mm-hmm. is important for kids too, isn't it? Absolutely. I think that's the popularity of, you know, like Alone, that television show, and Gina getting, um, you know, so much attention because people want to go back out into the bush and engage their senses again and not be bombarded with TV screens in the dentist and the doctor's surgery. Like the rest of it is, you know, obviously we know on a sensory level that it's too much um, and we've just got to have the self-discipline to get us away from all of that. But I think that's the problem when you have um, social media companies trying to keep you on screen for longer. If you see people that are gambling and have spent hours in the casino, it looks like a problem that the government should be dealing with. And this is the same issue. It's just Mm. our children that are really at the greatest risk. Uh, Dr. Barry's given us a text saying, the research shows kids that are most susceptible to tech overuse are those with low self-control, low self-esteem and or insecure attachment. That's the challenge for parents. Do you agree with that, Kimberly? Oh, I don't. I don't blame the children. Did you Did you say that these are the kids with low self esteem, low attachment? They're the ones that the, are most. The kids at with risk? low self control, low self esteem, and insecure attachment. Yeah, no, I definitely don't see it as the kids that are the problem. I see it as the social. You know, it's basically all this screen time which is driving their self esteem down because they're comparing themselves and then they don't want to go outside. There's so much that could be done. I think without access to all of that to boost their their um, sense of belonging by being part of the community mm. and seeing people face-to-face. Because it's gone bad. I mean, <laughs> lots of young people that I know, for example, n- know where each other are all the time because they've got apps on, the, apps on their phone that tell them where they are. And, in, and not to participate in this system is to say, I am kind of don't want to be part of it, which is you know self-excluding. And as we know, most young people do not want to self-exclude. Mm-hmm. There are plenty of people trying to exclude them. Mm. Uh, I yeah. mean... I think that fear of missing out, you know, by not being part of the, you know, the chat and not being in the group, that also drives kids to depression. And I think the idea of Snapchat and being able to see where their friends are, you know, who's in this area, who's within five kilometres away, I think that's an amazing idea to then go and have an in-person meetup. Mm-hmm. Kevin in uh, Maitland. G'day, Kevin. G'day, how are you? Not bad. Um, my concern is with um, uh, the, uh, I suppose, the evolution of, um, technical devices. Uh, have we reached the point where we're going to spiral downwards in the evolutionary cycle? And my reasoning for that is that there's now no longer any need to retain knowledge. Now, humankind evolved positively because of its ability to retain knowledge. That no longer exists. Um, we saw, you know, a generation ago where our kids didn't need to know how to do mental arithmetic. Of course, they had a machine that did it. Yeah. Now they no longer need to retain knowledge. Um, it, it, is it the beginning of the end? <laughs> it's an interesting question. One of my texters, uh, thank you, Kevin, one of my texters said you can't cut, cut them off because otherwise if without, Google, without Google, parents won't know anything mm-hmm. <laughs> and therefore won't be able to answer kids' questions. Yeah. Stephen, this is... Uh, this is a thing, though, isn't it? Once upon a time, you did have to learn things, but you well, kind of don't anymore. He, he raised, you don't have to learn facts anymore, do you? Yeah, yeah. It's a good, I mean, he raises a good point, which is we, we're changing the, the ingredients that, that go into making you a well-rounded intellectual being are being substituted now by technology at, 
in some cases, quite early in, in your development. So, I mean, I'll give you an example, you know, with ChatGPT taking off and with generative AI seemingly ready to explode to take a lot of lower, kind of even high, slightly higher cognitive skills away from those of us who, you know, who would have used to have done those things, writing an essay or, mm-hmm. or researching something or creating a PowerPoint presentation. Well, when you think about, so to say professional services or, you know, consulting firms or accounting firms, you know, they hire thousands of students straight out of university. And what do those you know, students do? They do the PowerPoint slides. They do the spreadsheets. They do the, that's all, most of that's going to be replaced, already being replaced by, sure. by AI. So then the question is, well, do you hire these people out of college to university to do what, right? To do the, the higher order, more difficult things? No, well, they need, they need the seasoning they need to learn. You can't hire a 22-year-old and stick them in the CEO's suite, right? Um, but the, we, we may lose this on-ramp where people actually develop their skills because, because AI is, is doing, this, doing those mm. tasks for You're us. You're working in it now. I mean, I, I kind of get the sense we've done a little, we've done a fit, a, quite a lot of conversation about AI on the program here from... Even down at the basic We'll be level. talking so, more about it, Philip. Don't worry, it's not going away. I know. You kind of get the sense that this, if, you thought the, if you thought smartphones connecting you to the internet were a big change, yeah. this is going to be AI in, is probably be even enormous. Bigger. It's probably even bigger. And it's, it's because are you worried it's, about it in the way that other – I mean, some people who work in the AI space are worried about it. So I, I, a few years ago, I co-founded a company called Omniscient, and it, we, we're the sort of the open AI of the human brain. We're the world's leaders in using AI to decode the brain, so we focus mm. on, on that regime. Um, look, am I worried? I, I, I'm worried in, in, in one sense, which is we now have the platform of the Internet and the devices in everybody's hands where you know, new technologies can, can proliferate so quickly. And we're seeing, you know, we've seen that with social media, gone from nothing to hundreds of millions to billions of users. We've seen that with ChatGPT, which went to hun- hundreds of millions of users within it's months. It's the fastest adoption, I think, of any of any correct new app on on online ever. And and you know, so many, even those of us in AI, a year, a couple of years ago, you know, we were relatively in the shadows, right? Mm. People didn't, you know, at the barbecue, nobody knew what we did. Now. You know, AI is on the front page of every newspaper. Every company, every board is talking about it. I mean, I've never seen a technology move so fast. Yet, we don't understand fully the the negative power of this technology. And there's lots of positive power as well. But that concerns me because it propagates so quickly that, you know, we will, we'll, it's not like in the old days when, you know, it took, it, it took you know, 50 years for the automobile to pl- proliferate on roads. I mean, this technology becomes ubiquitous overnight. So, so the problems become ubiquitous too. And that's the thing that's really concerning. Um, not that AI is not going to have a great positive effect on the world, but the negative effects can just be so overwhelming so quickly that we may not be able to keep, keep up with it. Stephen Chielis with us, former CEO for Australia and New Zealand of Facebook. Um, Madeline's a teacher. Yes, Madeline. Hi. Um, so I'm a teacher, mm-hmm. and I wanted to see how often my kids were getting hits from social media while they're in class. Mm-hmm. And it was when the whole be real thing was happening. So it was a couple of years ago, and I had a group of year 11s, and I just said, "Today you can have your phone on the desk, and you cricket score. You know the strike, four strikes, and then a strike through for a five. Yep. Every time you get a hit on your phone, you can't see who it is." just every time you get a notification that something's happened. I had a notification come into that classroom every six seconds. 
<laughs> and you try and teach a class when every six seconds some kid is getting a zap yeah. and mm. they think they then have to stop work, try and sneak a look at their phone or put their hand up and say they have to go to the toilet or go for a drink of water or it is so frustrating. And then we did a breakdown and as much as they say, oh, I only have the phone to get calls from my mum, it was something like 98% of all the notifications were social media. Hmm. It's so hard to get their phones off. Why is, why so doesn't your, is your, is your school thought about banning them completely, Madeline? Okay, so this was at a school I was at before, and I'm in WA, yeah. and the government policy is off and away for the day. Yeah. They are not meant to have their phones out. They're meant to be in their bags and not connected to their smartphone. So it's off and away for the day. The school I was at had a great policy, um, but we knew that kids would be sneaking looks if they were found with their phones on in class or out in the playground. They had their phones taken for the day. After three offences, um, their parents had to come and pick up the phone. Um, and this was a country school, so there were some kids that lost their phones for a week because mum and dad weren't coming into town. Um, but, and it was only a few kids, but I just knew that they were either getting the zaps on their... Um, their smartwatches, or they were trying to sneak looks at their phone. Um, and it's one zap every six seconds. Mm, mm. It's really hard to battle. I can, I can imagine. Thanks, man. I mean, I, I, I really get that. I mean, Stephen, you'd, I mean, and Kimberly, my guests here, you'd agree with that. Is there, is there an overwhelming case for just saying you can't use it? It shouldn't be allowed in schools. Well, in, Full it, stop. It, that sort of, and research shows that that sort of interruption of of learning or thinking is is disruptive to not just to kids but to any of us those sorts of disruptions mm. which come from the that distraction it it is it is a, a negative effect on your ability to learn your ability to think your ability to to complete tasks so it it is a problem that's sort of um what she described there and particularly again with younger people are, are again I, I think you'll find that research shows that they're even more susceptible to being interrupted and it's a critical time when they're trying to learn, right? I mean, we've our our book learning is behind us, but for them, they're it's all ahead of them. And so, interrupting that ability to learn through those sorts of interruptions is definitely a problem. Is there a big social deficit? Do you think, Kimberly, in the fact that kids feel that they don't necessarily know anything; they just have to look it up all the time? I mean, it's a fundamental yeah. change in the way we behave. I think it's now just remembering websites or remembering where they're supposed to find it online rather than knowing the content. They can find that easily. Um, and I think, you know, reading books is a thing of the past, sadly, because, you know, apparently kids are spending less than two hours a week, you know, reading books for leisure. Except the book sales figures don't really support that. I mean, ch children's books are still selling in large numbers, so kids are still doing it. I think parents are probably buying the books, grandparents buying them and encouraging kids to read, but I think it's hard to compete against, you know, a phone when you've got a hard copy book next to the bed. It's just not as engaging and that, you know, notifications, distractibility, I think that's driving more diagnoses of ADHD. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mm. What a lot of people are worried about, Stephen, is AI will become a replacement person for many kids. And, yeah. you know, there's a real – I mean, this is – I don't think this is very far away, actually, because even now uh, – We're sort of there already. There already yeah. are, in yeah. a way. You can, you, can talk to, you can talk to your screen and it talks back to you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. As long as you don't ask it some things about – opinion and so on, but it'll do almost everything else for you. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, it, we have already arrived there really. Mm. Uh, one of the things that I 
and I'm again, I'm a big, I'm a, I'm a big believer in AI. I build AI. I, I think, I think AI is going to have, and is having huge positive effects on the world. However, I think there should be a, a basic human right for an individual if they want to live an AI-free life, they should have that right. So, in other words, every product service that you use, there should be an AI-free version that should be accessible to you. And I, I sort of make, I make the analogy to sort of secondhand smoke almost. It's like, a, you know, if, hey, if you want to live with, if you want to smoke your cigarette, no problem, go outside. But I shouldn't have to be exposed to it. Mm-hmm. And at one time that wasn't the law. Anybody could mm. blow their smoke in your face, but now they can't. And I think, I feel like it should be the same with that. If you, I think if you, if you want to, if you want to be outside of that world or you want you and your family to be outside, you should have simple ways to choose products and services that have no AI mm-hmm. in them. Mm-hmm. And I think that, and, and we should, I think we should mandate that manufacturers and, and product and service providers have to give us a, a viable option for, you you have if you're offering one product that's full of AI, you have to offer a second one that doesn't have AI. Now, maybe, mm. that, maybe that's all, not always practical, but I think where it is, that that choice should be there. Yeah, it's uh, look, it's the debate of our times, isn't it? I do thank you for your time. Look, it's vanished on us, but but there we are. Stephen Sheila is the former Facebook CEO for Australia and New Zealand. Stephen, thank you for your time. Thank you. And Dr. Kimberly O'Brien is a child psychologist as well. Was has just texted in saying my 15 year old daughter just spent 200 dollars of her own money at a bookshop. Can oh, great. Go? God bless her. <laughs> Maybe Thanks, there Philip. Is All right. Uh, terrific to have your time. Thank you very much. You've been listening to a Nightlife podcast. For more great conversations about the issues that impact you, as well as features on travel and food, head to the Nightlife webpage. You'll find it at abc.net.au slash nightlife. You don't need to be a night owl to enjoy the nightlife.